Alright Ole, we are back with the Saxo Market Call. It is indeed. It's and Thursday. It means we are looking at commodities. Yes, for the first time. So uh, at least in the new format. So that's great. And we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the energy market. And then we're going to talk about yeah, the nuclear power industry or uranium market, if you will, against wind power, which has seen its uh, share, fair share of troubles. And then investment metals, gold and silver. But if we start at the top, all the mm-hmm. energy markets... I wrote a note, and I know you also wrote a note to our clients. That I, I said, okay, are energy markets coming back to haunt the equity market? Um, question mark. And I don't know whether that will be, be become a thing or not. Um, I'm quite anxious actually about going into the winter period, and we were so lucky mm-hmm. uh, last year here in Europe. And what we have seen lately since the um, the end of uh, May is a push higher in the uh, in the crude Brent crude price, and we hit ninety dollars per barrel uh, this week. We have indeed, and we're trading a little bit above at this point in time. And uh, yeah, it is a, it is a concern because uh, as we continue to uh, to see this green transformation, so far it's it's really only green addition, basically meaning that uh, we still got uh, rising uh, global demand for energy. And uh, part of that has been made, it's, it's been met by uh, renewables, but uh, we're still seeing rising demand for for fossil-based fuel and and coal and so on. We just had import numbers from uh, from from China this morning, and uh, we saw a record amount of coal imports, record amount of copper, uh, iron ore, the three-year high. So so the appetite for commodities, even though we at this point in time staring into a potential slowdown, economic slowdown, is is has not really slowed down to the point that that it should uh, warrant uh, lower prices. And and as you mentioned. I think the, the the big news this week was was clearly the uh, the announcement by Saudi Arabia and Russia that uh, as expected that they would continue to keep uh, production tight, but the surprise part was that they were they said well we're going to keep it until year end. But I think there there are several good reasons for doing that. All right, um, of course it's a political reason and also about China with the uh, rising demand on on oil and other things. It, it it's really difficult to comprehend actually that these import numbers are up given what we are constantly getting in terms of news of economic growth out of uh, out of China. But, I mean, when we talk about the oil market, I asked you, so what is, I mean, how far or how high can we go? Um, and you said to me at the desk, I don't think we can go higher than $100 per barrel. Mm-hmm. And, and what, is, what is the reason for that? Is and, and talk a little bit about maybe the refinery capacity and also you know Saudi Arabia and the rest of the of the countries in the OPEC plus clearly on a political agenda here on the yeah. uh, in the oil market. Yeah, and and saying a hundred, I would doubt if we even make it to ninety five. But uh, let's see. That I've I've I note that there's a lot of uh, talks about a hundred dollars uh, revisit uh, once again. But let's just let's just say focus on that one fact. We have not run out of oil suddenly. Mm. We have got the highest invent- uh, highest spare capacity levels in in more than six years, simply because that uh, OPEC has been cutting production in order to support prices. That basically means that they have more they have more capacity available for for a rainy day, and uh, that's normally uh, spare capacity when it's rice rarely go hand in hand with higher oil prices. Also, um, we're coming out of the summer peak demand season. We've had a troubled uh, summer because uh, one thing is the pipeline from northern Iraq to Turkey has been closed since March. That's been removing a 0.4 million barrels a day of uh, crude oil. That may not come back for uh, at least on, not until next month. At the same time, refinery has been running flat out in order to meet uh, meet summer demand. Some of these refineries are now going into maintenance, basically meaning that they're buying less crude oil. Saudi Arabia alone is 700,000 barrels. So I'm, I'm basically saying that uh, export out of Saudi Arabia will go up. It will not go down. It will go up from October and onwards. 
And uh, in addition to that, we talked about the Chinese uh, import levels being as high as they are. It's being bought by refineries who are t- having a nice uh, turnaround on uh, on the refined products because diesel and gasoline prices are high. So they buy all the crude they can get hold of, especially from Iran at a discounted price. And then they re-export that uh, whatever excess they don't, they don't need domestically. At the same time, China has continued to build strategic reserves. And But what they're also showing in history is that they're very price sensitive. If prices get too high, they'll just stop buying uh, for for reserves built and they'll start to, to dig into these two reserves to uh, get their crude from there. So we could actually see that if prices move significantly higher, China, the world's biggest importer, could potentially slow its, uh, slow its demand and that will, would have a, have a soothing impact on prices. So just a conclusion, this is a political decision made by a few people and that basically means as well it can be reversed as well if for, for whatever reason. So, um, so with that in mind, yes, we have tight market conditions. It's not because we are running out of oil. It's, it's because it's being kept tight. The question is obviously how long they'll continue to keep, keep it tight. But at the same time, I see some weakness into the autumn months, which would probably support the reason why they, they decided to keep uh, these barrels away from the market. And in the meantime as well, all the, we have all these dark clouds hanging over the global economy. Potentially the U.S. fiscal cycle that is turning around. Um, China is still a very big, I would say, guessing game. So, um, yeah, fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, time in oil markets. Indeed, Peter. And I think that's, that's a really important point you made there because what we have to consider as well, if prices of oil go up, it's such a phenomenal input into the global economy and it's also into price action. Mm. We are seeing year-on-year growth now in oil prices. That basically means if they go even higher from here, it will translate into higher inflation prices, inflation what are central banks going to do with that in terms of uh, getting rates down? They might even have to hike them. What will that do to the economic economic activity? It will slow. So I'm sure Saudi Arabia and Russia, and maybe not Russia, they have another agenda. But Saudi Arabia, they are obviously depending on global. They, they're watching that as well. So there's also a limit to how high they will accept, allow prices to go, because they know it can have a negative impact on demand. Yeah. Um, as well, I think Saudi Arabia is pretty well aware of where the oil markets are headed. We This is... Definitely for another podcast, but as you and I talked, I mean, you know, some of, a lot of consensus estimates are coming in that we will have peak oil potentially in 25, 26, 27, give or take, depending on uptake on, on electrification, etc. And I read this morning that Saudi Arabia is apparently trying to attract foreign capital to um, expand mining capacity, especially for copper and, and other types of metals that they they um, they say have, they have in the, in the ground there. So um, it seems like Saudi Arabia and also with their... A big change in terms of uh, branding with uh, football players. Uh, they they surely are preparing for uh, for a different future outside uh, the oil that had given them so much wealth. Indeed. Um, the other topic we're going to talk about. Um, I actually got a lot of response on that. Um, I posted on, on on LinkedIn, and it was a little bit of inspiration from what you did as well, William, putting in Orsted and Camigo on a on a five year chart showing the total return and. It's actually quite staggering because sometimes, you know, a picture is, is worth more than a thousand words as, as the old saying goes. And Orsted, almost flat, zero return for five years. And this is the the poster child at one point for the green transformation, especially, you know, the big hopes for offshore uh, wind power. And then compare that to Cameco, which is, uh, for now, a predominantly uh, a uranium extractor and refiner, etc., a mining company. But they have just added or bought and hopefully will complete that acquisition in December of Westinghouse. And then Cameco will be a much more vertically integrated company in the global nuclear power power industry because they will be able to sell technology. And that stock is up 300% mm-hmm. in the same period. 
And I just said, I mean, it's it's remarkable how big a shift we have seen in, in investor appetite. We also have this small uh, modular nuclear power plant company, uh, sorry, yeah, power plant company by Sam Altman, the founder of OpenAI. Oklo, it's called, is, is coming to f- uh, equity markets in the US very soon via SPAC. And think about, we, we're talking about a nuclear a nuclear technology company being publicly listed. Mm. I mean, it just, I mean, that would have been crazy to say just two years ago. Indeed, and and uh, just the the whole, I mean, the Fukushima disaster more than a decade ago set back this industry uh, quite a bit. We've had a a decade in the wilderness almost, and um, and where the te- but the technology is is being developed uh, as we speak. There's a lot of lot of investment going into finding uh, safer and uh, better ways of of utilizing it, and and uh, it, I mean the numbers are staggering. It it just it will have to be a part of a future solution in order to make sure that we have the the base load that is required, uh, especially with all the, the the problems we're seeing right now with uh, with with wind and also the kind of prices uh, that Oster uh, mentioned as one of the problems in the U.S. market. They basically need higher prices in order for this to work because if you are an energy car, wind, you need to you need to give investors three to four percent mm. above uh, treasuries uh, yep. return. And they're really struggling with that right now. And uh, electricity price in a place like the US is not that high because gas prices are dead cheap. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, a, what, a, what a conundrum, huh? What a conundrum, indeed. Yeah, and, and we're going to, I mean, so, you know, there, there are two things here. So the demand side for uranium is clearly right now being driven by, you know, increased power generation from nuclear power plants in Asia. You know, I think there are 40, 45 uh, nuclear power plants being built right now with, you know, the majority of those being built in Asia. It's also Asia has doubled its nuclear power generation over the past 10 years, according to the Nuclear Power Association. Um, so that's really where the growth is. But Cameco is also saying Europe, the US, you know, the political winds are changing and they're changing very fast. So that's the demand side of things. But then what have really generated a lot of excitement recently in uranium is the supply side of the market that has really been changed or you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty around that, also because Russia apparently is what the world's largest. Yeah, I think we just have to look at. Uh, yeah, capacity. exactly. Russia is not a, a it's not a major producer of a miner of uranium, but it's one of the world's. It is the world's biggest uh, enrichment yeah. um, producer, and that basically means that Europe and the US they they buy almost sixty percent of their enriched uranium from the Russia from uh, from Russia. And given the current state of affairs, that obviously is a very very high dependency, and uh, one that's uh, probably giving giving some um, utilities a few restless nights, sleepless nights. And uh, that really where some of the growth is going to be uh, be seen as well going forward. That your enrichment has to be move uh, has to move outside of Russia, and then obviously the dep- demand is, is looks set to grow in coming years. And and that's the thing with uranium. It's it's one. It's what it's just a sector where you don't go for in and, and expect the price to double overnight because uh, it is very easy to more or less to to uh, to to uh, forecast what demand will be in in years to come because it, the process of building is so slow so you mm-hmm. know more or less what you need from year to year so uh, so obviously there's a bit of hot money going into it right now as well but uh, I, I'm lo- I'm keeping on that sprot a physical trust uh, which basically hold uh, physical uranium. And uh, it it has been trading at a discount uh, to uh, net asset value around six more than six percent for the last year. Right now, that discount has narrowed to two percent. So, uh, so there is quite a there is quite a strong investment investor demand out there right now. All right, and the last thing we're going to talk about um, investment metals or gold and silver um, yep. in the week to come. You know, with all the 
the incoming data. We'll have inflation data uh, next week from the U.S. Obviously, that will impact gold prices. But, I mean, we, we just come out of an August where gold uh, rebounded. We having these stories that with core inflation in Japan suddenly hitting 4%, a lot of investors in Japan never really looked at gold, but suddenly they are looking at gold. So you have maybe have you have a new stream of buyers right there. And it's also, you know, the fact that, you know, you had, um, you had the weak numbers and the question about uh, the U.S. economy and peak rates was also positive for gold. So um, a lot of action, Ule, and we have that strong dollar into the mix as well. So what are your thoughts on, on gold here? Well, just that, uh, just like the FOMC members uh, say that they're data dependent, so, uh, so is the gold market most certainly as well. Uh, it, it, we've seen, as you mentioned, uh, the, the recovery there towards the end of August when we had some, uh, I think it was the lower jolts number that kicked it off uh, and then followed by another uh, few uh, weak uh, numbers. And gold took off. And uh, now just within the last week, we had ISM manufacturing and services both showing stronger uh, prints uh, than, than expected. And we we straight back down again. We've gone from five rate cuts next year down to four and uh, even now pricing you in the 50-50 chance of a, of a hike this year. So so until we have clarity on, on rates and, uh, and and also have a, a firm sense that we have hit uh, hit, a, hit peak rates, then uh, we're probably going to see this uh, this roller coaster ride continue. Our our long term beliefs uh, is one that points towards deflation, uh, where inflation is going to stay relatively high and growth will relatively low, and uh, that is uh, that is a scenario that tends to play into the hands of, of the gold market. So uh, so we we're viewing any setbacks as as an accumulation opportunity, uh, but also uh, at this point, as I put in the notice to, today, we are patiently bullish because it's not going to happen overnight. We need to get confirmation that peak rates has come in, and then what we have seen in the past the past twenty years, every time we peaked. We had uh, three peak rates in scenarios during this past 22 decades, and every time we uh, are following the peak rates, uh, we've seen very, very strong moves higher in, in gold. So uh, we see record high prices, but again, be patient. Yeah, I think it was some excellent comments. And yeah, I, I think gold definitely has a has a role to play in a, in an asset allocation model for long-term investors is really something to consider and you're showing you're pointing your finger you want to say something but and and maybe you want to say something on gold but before we we leave on the podcast I also want you to just make some few comments on on silver as well because that's really something that is of interest to our clients. That was exactly what I was going. <laughs> I, was going to, I was asking for time to to talk about because, uh, well, we, we, not not a podcast without investment medals without mentioning silver because what's moving that one? Well, as you as I'm sure you're all aware, silver is uh, is. Uh, is, is like a gold price with a bit of a turbocharged attached to it so in both directions and uh, just the last week we've seen gold uh, silver price come down by by more than five percent and what we really have to keep an eye on apart from gold is is obviously what happens in industrial metals 50 percent of silver's uh, use comes from the industrial side of things and that tends to be a reasonable high correlation with uh, with copper prices and uh, copper right now is really being determined by the movements in the renminbi in the chinese renminbi and uh, that one uh, on the onshore, remember, hit a I believe it's a 15-year high, or well, 15-year low uh, today. Uh, the offshore is not far behind, and that really is not uh, doesn't go hand in hand with with uh, copper strength. So copper is holding, it's up on the year year and year, uh, but it's and that's the green transformation demand that will continue to increase. Right now, we actually got uh, cities in China where they are they are, they've asked uh, some of the solar uh, producers from uh, solar energy producers to uh, to hold back because the grid simply can't cope with the uh, with the the load that's coming from all this uh, the sun uh, the uh, solar power uh, solar panel established and uh, i think that that goes everywhere that uh, that the grid infrastructure has to be rebuilt so 
Copper is copper is is again. I think also what we call a I'll call a sleeping beauty. Again, you have to be patient, but um, that is that is the, uh, the some of the reaction functions in silver also come from industrial metals. So right now, keep an eye on gold and keep an eye on the Chinese. Remember, if I should pick up two things to watch for for silver's direction. This is why I always love talking about commodities with you. I always go away uh, more enlightened and hopefully also more smarter about the world. It is really, commodity markets always, it fascinates me. They, they, they fascinate me. They are about the real the real world, the world that, you know, the things that makes the world go around, basically. So um, I think um, with that, we uh, we are over with this podcast. And um, what, um, so we, we just we discussed the, the energy market and Saudi Arabia. Um, so look out for that one. And in the weeks to come, oil markets are definitely hot. Look out for uranium prices, even hotter, I think, and um, a very interesting market. And, and then gold and silver as we get more economic data and inflation next week. Thank you for listening. 